welcome to episode 137 of Breakout Culture. I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at Country and Town House. And I'm Ed Vasey, the culture editor of Country and Town House. And today we're talking about the new Maddox Gallery on Mayfair's Barclay Street and the exhibition there called Dreamland by the British-American artist Russell Young. Russell had his debut show with Maddox last winter and now he's back exploring celebrity as a cultural phenomenon and dissecting the American dream and the dark side of fame. Now, Russell has a particular connection with California as he was adopted at a young age and carved out a career and identity for himself on the Californian case. Dreamland sees him looking at stars and cultural icons whose fame has proved in many cases to be their downfall. We're extremely lucky to have him with us today. Good morning, Russell. Good morning. Good morning. How are you both? Very well, thank you. Also with us is the renowned art critic and broadcaster Maeve Doyle, who is also the global artistic director of the Maddox Gallery Group. Maeve is well known for being a director at the infamous Bank Robber Gallery, which sold Banksy's murals Slave Labour and Girl with a Balloon. She's also a BBC arts correspondent. She has her own podcast... We Should Be Jealous, a private view with Maeve Doyle on Soho Radio. She chairs loads of panel discussions at art fairs, curates and leads tours for leading London hotels from Ham Yard to Soho House, and is generally highly esteemed as a thought leader within the arts industry. We're delighted to have you with us. Maeve, good morning. What a lovely introduction, Ed. Well, a very warm welcome to you both, but I think let's kick off first by hearing about Maddox's expansion, because it was founded in 2015, and I think the last time one of your artists, David Yarrow, was on the podcast, I don't think you had quite so many galleries as you do now, including your brand new one. Well, the, the Barclay Street Gallery is where Russell's Dreamland yes. show will be on Thursday, so you must come. Russell, what were you going to say? Well, no, so Maddox have, have been very greedy over these last few years with their expansion, and... Um, you know, they have really, really courted me and they've been absolutely amazing. I could not be happier. Um, it's a really, really great place to be as an artist. I feel very supported. Um, the effort behind the scenes of everybody is quite incredible. And including the new Mayfair space, I went there for the first time a few days ago and we are starting to install today and I cannot wait to play with the lights, to feel the lights, to see the space and the way the the paintings, the diamond dust paintings will sparkle there. I mean, it's it's just a fabulous space. Well, funny you should mention David Yarrow. We opened with David Yarrow on Barclay Street and almost well, up to 700 people showed up on the opening night. There was a lineup down to Sexy Fish, which is right in Barclay Square. And it was just the right move for us. We'd been looking for a space for a while. One came up on Barclay Street. It's over three floors. And uh, we're, we're incredibly happy to have it. It's... Um, it's what the business needed. And and having Russell do the first, the next show after David Yarrow has been a, a really big victory in a way. His work will look incredible in the big high ceilings. and Everybody's so excited to see the paintings go up today. It's like I've never felt this before from a, from a whole gallery staff. They're like, we can't wait to see them. And there's like the diamond dust sort of like it crackles with like this brittle energy. So... The, the lighting is beyond and the space and the walls and the colours. And yeah, I cannot wait until Thursday night. Explain for our listeners what on earth you're talking about when you're discussing Diamond Dust. <laughs> the series is called, the new exhibition is called Dreamland. And it's this wonderful cast of characters from Marilyn Monroe and Audrey Hepburn, Jimi Hendrix, Mick Jagger, Kate Moss, Coco Chanel. So 
These are my sort of heroes and heroines growing up in Northern England in the 60s and 70s that my father took me to all these movies or we would just go look at books and Bridget Bardo is in there. So what I have done is I put this diamond dust onto the painting. So in 2007, I was looking for something that had like a three-dimensional sculptural sort of element to it, some ref something reflective that would change in the lights. The background colors are all from pigments I sourced from all over the world. And I just felt that they needed this luxurious veil, this, this, this other energy to them. And my master printer and I had worked for about two years trying to find something. And we work on old Warhol's old press. We own, own Warhol's old press and we have a, big pile of paints and pigments and whatever. And after two years, he comes out with this sort of saggy looking old bag and said, why don't we try this? And that was Warhol's diamond dust. It just, it just brings an energy and light to them. Collectors, when they put them in their houses or wherever they put them, just, you know, say they're always changing. The light's always changing. They have this energy and radiance that they give back. And there's a great quote here that I think I read in, 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 in the press release, which says that you take famous images and you devour them, <laughs> appropriate <laughs> them, alter them, colour them, translate them and transform them to such an extent that they become yours. So I love that quote. So tell us a bit more. So you find, like, for example, the very well-known photograph of uh, Brigitte Bardot smoking a cigar, bruised pink. Yeah, so I, I work very closely with uh, the Marilyn Monroe estate, the Elvis Foundation, Muhammad Ali Foundation. I work with iconic images in London to get the rights to Terry O'Neill photographs. And it's taken me probably 15 years to get those rights. I take the image, I normally am cropping and just changing the, the values, the, the shadow and dark values, because screen prints are pretty bold, strong um, images. So they're not like a photograph with so many midtones. We make a film that would be the size of the paintings. Um, some of the paintings in the exhibition are 12 feet by five feet. Most of them are five feet by four feet. I source pigments from this wonderful old man in Florence that his Art shop goes back so many generations. It goes back to pre-Renaissance times. They have supplied the Sistine Chapel with some of the pigments to restore it. They supply the pigments for uh, some of the Michelangelo restorations. And he makes me go there to buy the pigments. And there's a large box that he allows me to take away after we've worked for a few days and I've mixed them in California. So the background of the painting the linen, I use like the finest Belgium or French linen, and I hand paint those. We then put the screen down onto the background and we push through, normally we're on our hands and knees, and we push through this thick enamel ink onto the screen. It's very, very, I mean, it's like an industrial ink. It's um, an oil-based um, sort of almost etching ink. Then we have this beautiful image on this beautiful background, but the diamond dust then gets applied afterwards. At the end of the day, I pin up all the paintings on the studio wall. I put a huge pile of diamond dust in the middle of the floor. I turn the lights off. I go out, I lock the studio. And at night, Tinkerbell comes and sprinkles all the diamond <laughs> dust on the paintings. <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> One of the things Russell's work does is it makes you quite aware of how 
you feel close to people you haven't met because they're movie stars or icons. And you feel like you walk into a room of everyone you know, and yet we haven't met most of the people in the pictures. Some of them aren't even living anymore. It's a funny kind of facing yourself and how much you fantasize and live through the movies. And yet they're absolutely beautiful. And Russell will say, as well as I have, because I've worked with Russell since 2009, people will come in and gravitate towards the piece, the celebrity that they think is them. There's always a woman who associates with Marilyn or an Audrey or a Liz Taylor. Uh, there's a Muhammad Ali. So, so the public finds comfort in it, definitely. The other thing I'd say is there's a dark side to the American dream that Russell also explores. And I think now more than ever, that's quite prevalent. I like that he's introduced Mick Jagger and Kate Moss, who are British icons, without kind of a dark side. They're all alive and well, and they haven't suffered in any kind of major way. And I don't know, I see something in the comparison between the British icons and the American icons. And I wonder, I haven't talked to Russell about this, if he's wondering about leaving England and living in the States and what it's like to be in the States now, and what celebrity culture is like. I guess that, that's my question to you, Russell. America's not the same place you moved to in the 90s. No, it's, no, it's not. It's not the same place. And um, Italy's looking very attractive at the moment. Um, <laughs> Couldn't agree more, all Greece. <laughs> so I, I was a photographer in the music business during the 80s and 90s. I, I got to shoot George Michael's face sleeve and most of the sleeves that George released. And, you know, we became friends, not close friends, but... It, but he was amazing. He sort of held me by the hand and led me through the Golden Gates. We co-directed a music video. I directed a hundred music videos. And I'd worked with Dylan and Springsteen and Bjork and Diana Ross. And I went to America really to find some new sort of protagonists. About that point, I fell out of love with sort of the music industry and the music in the mid nineties. The rap was very weak. The pop was horrendous. So. I went off to Tuscany for a month and my ex-wife was seven months pregnant with our first child. And I realized I wouldn't have any time for 18 years to think. So I went to a hill of Mount in Tuscany and I sort of meditated for a month. I've never meditated before or since. And I sort of basically came off the mountain an artist and went back to what the three-year-old did, which was always drawing scary trees. I was always an artist, always painting. America was the flame and I was the moth, or Los Angeles was the flame and I was the moth. So I was drawn to it. I was drawn to it for many years. As an eight-year-old, I would see palm trees and movies and ask my dad, why don't we live there? I always loved that 60s, 70s timeline. And if you take Woodstock in 69 and the man landing on the moon, America is absolutely at its heights. It's, it's unstoppable. But then the Rolling Stones come to Ultimate a little later, you know, like six months later, and they ruin it. And since that was the souring of the American dream, the, the killing of Meredith Hunter by the Hells Angels. And I have worked with that image of the Hells Angels killing Meredith Hunter in a huge abstract painting where I go in multiple times with this one stream. And it almost becomes like this Hieronymus Bosch chaos. So I do like the duality of fame and shame in a sense. The Marilyn crying painting where she's got her hands up to her eyes, she's stunning. 
She looks vulnerable, but, and she's beautiful there, right? She's really beautiful, but that is a small section of a huge photograph where there are paparazzi and there's a car and there's a lawyer next to her and there's all this chaos. And she's just come out of the divorce court from Joe, from, from divorcing Joe DiMaggio. The women I use, I have come back to England in a sense with Kate Moss, not Jagger. So I'm sort of almost looking inward and back home at the moment, I feel. Now, can we afford any of these pictures, Russell? <laughs> That's what everyone is asking listening to this podcast. You can't afford we not have to, re- to have them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very mindful of all collectors and of younger collectors. So most of, in fact, I think everything in the Dreamland show is a unique piece. So it's a unique colour and I hand pull everything. And so, so everything is unique. But there are one or two paper pieces in the exhibition which we've made affordable. Because the young collector, everybody should be able to collect my work. Well, can I just go back to you for a minute there, Maeve? Because you're the part of the Maddox ethos is to encourage young collectors, not just the great established art collectors. So, and that's where, why you set up Shepherd Market, wasn't it? When we opened the, Maddox, the Shepherd Market space, it was that idea that people walk around there and they'll come in and talk to you. And I think with young collectors and with new collectors, it's not always young. It can be someone older who's never collected before. It's about plain speaking and not trying to intimidate people. And we have a lot on Instagram and on websites as well. So there's no question that's there's no question that's out of bounds. You you can ask anything. And there'd be it would be not right at Maddox to to talk down to people in a kind of art speak way that sometimes people find offensive. They don't want to collect because there's a lot of, you know, I think you know what I'm saying without quite saying it. There's a lot of pretentiousness in the art world is what you're saying, Maeve. Yes. Yes. And and that's, you know, that doesn't encourage new collectors. No. Curator gobbledygook, we call it. (laughs) And I can do that. It's just, it's more fun. You know, I can do that too, but it's more fun not to. The art yeah. speaker really turns turns me off. I mean, you should buy a painting or a piece or a sculpture because you love it, right? Yes, yes. Um, I, I try to be very mindful because so many people have helped me over the last 25 years. I'm very fortunate that Christie's and Sotheby's have sold hundreds of my pieces, which is so rare for a, you know, somebody who can talk to you now, right? That, that's a not living in, artist, yeah. <laughs> that's not in a tomb. I mean, there's probably a handful of us that have had 100 plus paintings sold. So I'm very mindful of the younger collector. Mark Zuckerberg has eight Kate Mosses. Elon Musk collects my work. Um, Elizabeth Taylor, um, towards the end of her life, wheeled herself into a, a gallery and said, I'd like to buy this. David Bowie, Barack Obama. I mean, the, you know, it's um, an incredible list that I've got. The Kardashians. Jennifer Aniston. Bridget Bardo and Kate Moss. Um, the list goes on and on. So I, hopefully there's a validation there that, you know, it's not only something beautiful that you should buy, but then it's also something that hopefully retains its value and gains in value. So when you talk about the, the, the dark side of fame, Russell, you know, what, what is it that you find so disturbing? My upbringing was pretty, pretty dark in Northern England. It was pretty brutal. Um, there was an absence of light, which is why I presume I do all these colours and diamond dust to, to compensate for that. But it was a pretty violent, violent place. So the movies 
uh, the, like Magnificent Seven and Marilyn Monroe was my escapism. So even as a young kid, I had this two layers of the fame and shame. And I always liked the counterculture. I was always drawn towards um, the stories about Charles Manson, a far more interesting than the story about Barry Manilow. So I, I, I do work between these two things to show um, the sort of duality of America. Where in the North did you grow up? Where was this dark place? <laughs> I was born in Yorkshire, a, a bastard, to a 14-year-old unwed mother. And I was, lived in a nunnery for six months, my first six months of my life. And then I was adopted by two amazing people. My mum is still alive. My father died just before 9-11. And we migrated all around the North. So we lived in Middlesbrough, Newcastle, Carlisle. I lied about my age to get into college at 15, not 17. So then I went off to do a BA honours degree two years earlier than everybody else. So inside the family home, it was wonderful. Outside, we used to fight every single day. It was just brutal. Mm. And you were saying there is a difference between Britain and America, and I'm quite keen to unpick that. The wealth of talent that came out of Britain in the 60s and 70s is, you know, for the population, is extraordinary. And I, I'm influenced by a lot of American music, you know, The Doors and, and bands like that. But the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, and the Hendrix came here to the UK. Hendrix is in the, the exhibition, um, a phenomenal painting. It's actually my favourite. And he came to the UK to really, you know, he exploded when he came to, to Britain. Britain had that energy. And I keep coming back. And the last five years, 10 years, I, I've loved coming back to England. So what next for you then? Well, Dreamland's taken me three to four years. I am thinking about the next series and I may, may delve into my own photographic archives. My own photographs have only ever been on like album sleeves or magazine covers. They've never been exhibited or seen anywhere. So I'm starting to delve into my archives of like Dylan and Bjork and Springsteen and everything like that. Um, I'm creating a book as well, which um, was about my paintings, but now it's gonna be about three or 400 pages deep of my life. And we're gonna shoot a pilot for a small TV show next year, which is Artist on Artist. So I will be in artist studios, filming the process. And then, you know, I mean, I, I climb the mountains, go on the full moons for hikes for 24 hours. I swim a mile out in the ocean at 3 a.m. in the morning, ride motorbikes, ride horses, do, do whatever, have a, have a fun American life. So I will be interviewing people whilst they're in, you know, maybe we'll be cooking on the beach or something like that, you know. So, so for this, this show, are there limited editions of prints people can buy or are they just one-offs? So there are probably 20 protagonists um, mm -hmm. and sometimes I do diptychs or triptychs. So it's the same image repeated. Um, there's a like Kate Moss. Yes, like Kate Moss. There's a beautiful Elvis triptych, which almost looks like a religious icon in the front one. He's looking towards you and the other ones he's looking in. Um, so there's probably going to be 60 paintings available. Um, there are prints. There are, there's, I've created this wonderful Jagger um, print, but he's got this fur coat around him. Um, it was sourced from iconic images and the Terry O'Neill archives, and I've cropped in on it 
and we have a, a limited edition of 20 of that, which is, is just stunning. Well, huge good luck with it. And uh, thank you both so much for coming on and telling us about it. I can't wait to come and see it. Wonderful to talk to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's all we've got time for this week, but please don't fail to join us next week as it will be our last podcast, not just of the year, but forever. We're going out on a Christmassy musical high, talking about choirs and hearing from Mark Strawn and Ben England about a new choir for video gamers and their plans for staging exciting live events. Yes, and two of those events are a 24-hour Handel's Messiah and a 24-hour Mozart's Requiem. And we'll also hear about how you can join in all of that and the Christmas fun they've planned. So don't fail to tune in next week. Goodbye. <laughs>